Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Welcome all. This is the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast, and we're very excited to have with us today Jill Kennedy as our special guest from Ensemble. Ensemble, it looks like it's been doing a lot of tremendous work around the country. You have a pretty large portfolio uh, from what I see. So you guys are out there developing and snatching up properties left and right. So congratulations on that. Congratulations on being part of the team. Uh, but Joel, just uh, give us a little introduction uh, as to who you are, what you do, and and then we'll uh, take a little bit of a deeper dive into uh, your background for those who don't know you. Great, great. Thanks for having me, Joel. I'm really excited to be part of the podcast. This is going to be my first official podcast, so bear with me if I don't know all of the etiquette or whatnot. No so, so far, I am, so good, by the way. <laughs> great, great. I am the uh, Director of Development at Ensemble Real Estate Investments based in Long Beach, California, and also have offices in Phoenix, Nevada as well. And we recently opened up an office in Philadelphia, which is where I recently relocated to from the California office. My primary role is particularly on the development side of the our mixed-use and multifamily projects that we have in our pipeline. It's pretty much what I'm going to be doing out in Philadelphia, but I've also uh, had a lot of projects out up in the Bay Area and um, in Southern California as well. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So how in the world do you get to be one of the primary developers on such a large company doing so many things at such a young age? <laughs> <laughs> I know I do look young, don't I? <laughs> I? But I will say I'm still one of the young aspiring developers out there. And I will say I got started I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to Georgia State University and got my undergrad in real estate. During that time, the recession had just happened and I knew I wanted to be a developer just from family and it was definitely tough market at that time in 2008, 2009. And so I decided to pivot and go into the public sector and ended up being a city planner. But I felt like I was getting so far away from development, I decided to go back to school and went to Columbia University in New York. And from there, I got a mentor through the program who was working for a very large development firm out in the New York, New Jersey office and put me in touch with their Southern California office. And so I decided to interview and, and learn from them and got the job out there. And then um, Ensemble found me and I liked what they were offering. And they one of the main things they I told them was I wanted to grow my career and they heard me. And so it's been great working with them, been with Ensemble for about four years now. And so they definitely have helped me build build up my uh, my resume. So, okay, all right, fantastic. Now, just to take a, a quick little detour because we have something in common. I rarely find anyone that has uh, traveled more than me or been to more places than I've been, and I think you might have me beat. So, let me let me ask you a couple of questions related to that. You love to travel, from what I understand. Is that safe to say? All right. Yes, I do. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, what would you say is probably your um, 
your favorite place that you've been so far? And that might be a little difficult, but what would you say to that? It is. <laughs> it is. I get that question all the time. I've been to probably over 40 countries. And I think one, one of the first places I've been to was Egypt and Dubai. That was one of the first places. And that was in 2008. And this is, this is around the time where Dubai in particular was buzzing and they were talking about they were going to build the world's tallest building and do all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I got to see what this is all about. Mm -hmm. So I went out there and I was like, wow, they are really building up a city out of nothing. So since then I've visited a couple of times and I would say that, that it is, it is definitely uh, inspiration to see, you know, a city come, come together and, and build something. And I guess because I've been there so many times, I think I can, safely say that's one of my favorite places to visit. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, that's cool. Actually, believe it or not, I was supposed to head there in uh, 2020, and uh, obviously COVID had some other plans, so uh, I didn't I didn't make that trip, but um, <clears throat> that's uh, definitely a, yeah. a definitely place to be. Actually, funny story about that. When I came back from Dubai, I went to, I think it was a crew conference or or something, there was a speaker on the panel and it just happened to be Bruce Kellogg. He was talking about recently coming back from Dubai and that's how he started the conversation. That's how I met him was, hey, I just came from Dubai. He's like, oh, I was just there too doing a speaking engagement. And so since then, we've been ever since. Wow, wow. How about that? Small world. That's amazing how they came together. What would you say was your most unique place? I would say Tel Aviv. I, I, I went there uh, a few years ago. Uh, one of my classmates is uh, is from there. And so I told him, hey, I want to come visit you. And so I came out there and just to see Tel Aviv versus Jerusalem, it was definitely a, a different experience. I liked it. it and it basically, I thought it was um, something that most people probably would not want to go to, or especially as Americans, you see what's on the news, and it was definitely not what you hear on the news. So mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. No, that makes a good sense. It makes a lot of sense, rather. And then uh, one, one final question on that that subject: um, What would you say is your most desirable place that you want to get to that you haven't been to yet? So okay, I got to look at my uh, my world map here and see. <laughs> I, so I actually haven't been to a lot of. Um, countries in in Africa and so I want to kind of touch that continent more I've only been to I think South Africa and in Ghana and Egypt for that matter so if I can get to more of those I think that would be my my next move okay all right sounds good sounds good we're very very exciting so then you gotta wonder as we tie this all together you've been able to, to travel all these places do all these great things but yet still you're involved in some really Interesting projects. Uh, from what I understand, you've just been relocated to Philadelphia, just moved to Philadelphia from uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I know some of this is undercover and you can't talk about all of it, but um, you're you're part of the uh, Brooklyn, I keep saying Brooklyn, part of the Philadelphia Navy Yard and that redevelopment. Is, it, is that the case? And, and what's that all about? Yes. Ensemble had submitted an RFP, I believe it was now we're in 2020, so I feel like it was two years ago, uh, right before the pandemic, or right in the middle of, wow, we have been in the pandemic, pandemic for two years now, hard to believe. So uh, July of 2020, I believe we submitted, 
and uh, won the RFP. And then we decided to create a joint venture with Mosaic, who is our development partner. So for the Philadelphia specifically, Navy Art, it's an ensemble mosaic partnership and not just ensemble. So all of the projects that I'm working on have Mosaic as our partner as well. That process, a, mosaic's a minority firm, just to be clear. Correct. Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not mistaken, they're probably the largest African-American-owned development company in the city, and they have built a lot of affordable housing projects in the city. I like working with them. They've been great. And so just pulling in their expertise, especially on the affordable housing front, has been very valuable. In terms of the Navy Yard itself, we, as Ensemble, had initially been involved with with the Navy Yard. We had built the Courtyard Marriott there a few years ago. And then um, we ended up buying some of the existing office portfolio from Liberty Property Trust, which no longer is around. Um, I believe Prologue just had bought out their, their assets and then they didn't want to pursue the office side. And Ensemble, we are well-rounded. We do office, hospitality, multifamily. And so we already had the hotel in line. And so having the offices in our um, portfolio was a good move for us. And then when the RFP came out, we thought, oh, we're already here in the Navy Yard. This would be a great opportunity. And so part of the RFP process was to redevelop 100, approximately 110 acres as part of the, uh, the master plan. So right now, I'm currently working on the first phase. And the first phase includes hotel multifamily, life science, and uh, we also are, are building a parking garage to accommodate uh, all of the new uses that are going to be there. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm looking, this is like a, a developer's dream to like build a master plan community. So, and coming down to the, to the Navy Yard, if you, if you ever been, it's pretty, it's pretty secluded, but once you go in, you're like, wow, all this is here. So it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. So what's the overall scope of the uh, Navy Yard project? How large is it going to be? How many square feet of space? Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's probably going to take a 10, 15 year build out to fully redevelop the Navy Yard. The Navy, uh, it's 1,200 acres and we control 110 of that. So <laughs> you can imagine... <laughs> It's pretty large. Yeah. Something I wanted to bring up is while I was working at the city of Atlanta, uh, one of my big projects there was Fort McPherson. Okay. And anybody familiar with the, the Base Realignment and Enclosure Act, but that's the BRAC process where military bases close and give it back to the city. And the city has to be responsible for coming up a re for a redevelopment plan. And at the time that Fort McPherson was closing, we were, I was in charge of rezoning the 400. I think it was 400 acres into mixed use, green space, life sciences, bioscience. So all of that, that was like 10 years ago. And so now I feel like it's come full circle to uh -huh. actually implement a similar plan to that at the Philadelphia Navy Yard. So this is like a dream come true for it to come full circle for me to build this. And so, as you know, development projects like this, take a while and we're only on the first phase who knows there might be five phases by the time we get through the first phase but right now we're just focused on the first phase which is if i recall uh i i think it's over a million square feet but don't quote me on that 
Okay, all right. Wow, so the first phase is, is pretty large as well from that standpoint. Right, right. So what, what is actually, um, what would you say your, your specialty is? I saw some information related to your dealings with the, uh, the states and the cities and things of that sort. Um, are you covering the, the full scope of development or are you more specifically to a, a niche aspect of it? Yes, so I actually focus mostly on the pre-development phase. Okay. I, as I mentioned, my background was a city planner. And so having that is, I would say, pretty rare for a developer. Mm-hmm. Most developers usually might have an engineering background or a finance background. But I, I came as a city planner. And having that relationship with, with cities and whatever jurisdiction that you're working with has been critical. If you've ever built in California, particularly Southern California, then you probably know how difficult it is to get a project entitled with all of the red tape that comes with it. The entitlement phase is pretty much my niche. I, I know how to navigate through the, the city process for the most part. And it wasn't until I realized while I was in school, I took a, a real estate law class and um, they they mentioned I think it was like maybe like a paragraph about zoning. And I thought, I was like, zoning is pretty important. That could make or break a project. Yeah. Why are not, why are you talking about this? So that's how I got my, my foot in the door with city planning was with the planning department and understanding zoning. And as I mentioned, rezoning Fort McPherson. So understanding where cities are going with their redevelopment plans? Are they rezoning their industrial land to mixed use of family? Are they retaining it? So having that understanding and understanding what the city community plans are is, is I believe, important for developers to know. Because, again, that's probably one of the riskiest sides of things is when you're doing a, a land deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, big time. Because if you don't get that zoning, everything else falls apart. So it's mm-hmm. very important. So thank you for bringing that up. And that's actually a very good point. Your, your background as a, uh, a city planner certainly has kind of showed you behind the curtain on how to navigate these things uh, where a lot of people wouldn't have that experience. So that's, that certainly is very important. The Brooklyn, Brooklyn's, please, I got to get that out of my head. Philadelphia Navy Yard. Oh, no worries. My developing the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So <laughs> it's all it's all all the same thing yeah, <laughs> in yeah, my yeah. mind. Well, I went to school in Brooklyn, so I, I just, that keeps ringing in my head because the Navy Yard was always something that was always uh, out there. But uh, no, what I was about to ask you is, uh, what about brownfield issues? I would assume that the Philadelphia Navy Yard had a lot of brownfield issues. Was that the case? And uh, how did you navigate through those if it was the case? Still navigating. We are, we are working with the Department of Environmental Protection. And Obviously, we don't know what the Navy was doing years and years ago. And so by now, I believe what we have in place is um, the Navy has pretty much a a D restriction at the moment that needs to be lifted in order to build residential particularly. But everything else is pretty much, I would say, clean or not at high levels of risk. And so just reassuring the state that this is, you know, redeveloped land that can be built for future projects, that's that's an ongoing process, I would say. But right now, we uh, recently broke ground on um, our spec lab space without any problems with the with the DEP, which is Department of Environmental Protection. But we'll see how things come along as 
as we navigate through that process. And this is fairly new for me in their terms of their process. I mean, I've worked on brownfields at the city of Atlanta. That was one of my uh, city planning projects that I managed, um, their brownfield program. And I was working particularly with the EPA region. And so it's a little bit different here because I'm not working with EPA and it's more of the state process. So, and I didn't have to do any of that in the, uh, in California, but just overall having environmental resources and doing your phase ones and your phase twos has been pretty much an ongoing process and putting together a work plan for, for the state and telling them what we're going to test, what are we going to sample and then going out and doing that in a timely manner. So that's right now what I'm focusing on with the DEP. Got you, got you. So for our, our listeners, this actually might be a very interesting subject because we really don't dive specifically into uh, brownfield issues, but how do you mitigate a brownfield site? How do you get the tax credits associated with that? How does that process work for the, the benefit of our, of our listeners? How do you do that? Well, I would say it was most likely a lengthy process, and it's best you do that during the due diligence phase. Having a really good environmental consultant on board early on is probably critical. Doing a phase one, a thorough phase one, and as most of you guys might know, usually a lender won't lend you anything if it's, if it's a dirty site. So making sure that that's cleared and clean. I believe one of our projects, in California, we ended up doing, it's an industrial site, had pesticides and a lot of contamination on it. We ended up going through a voluntary cleanup program. I'm not sure if any other states or jurisdictions do that, but that pretty much reassured us that whatever contaminants were on the site was able to get cleaned up and it wasn't the full site, just certain pockets of it. So I would say doing the due diligence of it is probably the critical path and it's an ongoing process even leading up to construction so that's what i'm dealing with now is additional samples and more samples in terms of the tax credits i have not necessarily been involved in that because we're not pursuing any tax credits at the moment for that so i can't speak on that okay all right fair enough fair enough because um what i've found is that uh a lot more sites are Actually, uh, brownfield sites, uh, there's a lot of development going on. And what happens is uh, either you're redoing industrial sites because industrial is extremely hot right now, or it could be a situation where um, now it's, it's being repurposed. You know, sometimes it's multifamily housing from all uh, sites that were used like that or, or other uses. And um, you've got to clean those sites up. And obviously, in a lot of cases, you can't get those tax credits, those brownfield credits and things of that sort. So uh, interesting interesting process there but um it's always a lot of work and it always takes a lot of time so you know yeah 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 absolutely absolutely so the philadelphia waterfront um once it's all said and done what are some of the amenities that are going to be there that would really draw people to that location that you're developing there oh that's a good question so since i just recently moved here i I'm getting to know the city more. I, I moved to Center City, uh, which is downtown. Mm-hmm. And as you know, most, most cities that have a, a downtown usually might have your your office, your retail restaurant space. And so how do you keep people at the Navy Yard to stay at the Navy Yard? That's some of the things that we were thinking about 
we have the hospitality front. We have the courtyard and building a new hotel as part of our phase one. The residential project that I'm particularly working on that would have about 25,000 square feet of retail restaurant spaces mm-hmm. and residential amenities for, for those who want to live in the Navy Yard. And there's about 15,000 employees currently at the Navy Yard, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And so having a place to eat for lunch, which is non-existent right now, I work in the Navy Yard and it's very limited on what I could find eat, to eat there. So bringing in a lot of food vendors or something along those lines um, would be a great amenity that we're thinking about. And also your your neighborhood serving amenities, whether that's a pharmacy or grocery store. So anything that kind of like make it its own neighborhood. So that's kind of the envision of having it more like a live, work, play district in a part of Philadelphia. Gotcha, gotcha. Are there any plans for uh, green space? Right now, so there is lots of green space there already, believe it or not. There's the Central Green, which was constructed a few years ago. And every day I see people walking their dogs, their kids, and they have all of these different, um, they have hammocks and a track. So I think the green space is pretty covered right now for for most of it, but that's not to say the future phases might not have additional. And there's a trail, so I see lots of runners there, and it, but green space in itself is probably one of the first things that they wanted to tackle when it got when they came back when the Navy closed down, essentially. Okay, all right. Any any plans for the waterfront, like uh, a boardwalk or anything like that? That's, that's planning for that area. That right, is right definitely the waterfront. A yeah, because I, I haven't seen the design yeah. for it, you know, so I'm, I'm really asking out of curiosity. I don't know. And then, you know, I've got things I'm working on in Philly, so I'm kind of curious about yeah. the whole area. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's definitely a future phase as yeah. part of the master plan. So I, there might be a couple of high rises there, whether it be hotels, residential offices along the waterfront. So who knows <laughs> at this time it's more like a, maybe that's probably like 10 years out um, by the time we get to the waterfront because right now we're kind of building closer to the gate with broad street okay. and then working our way towards the waterfront. oh okay okay all right i understand i understand well, let me do this um, i'm actually going to start opening up uh the line for any of uh you guys that want to ask questions of jewel and um see if we go a little bit deeper into this subject here so feel free to Unmute yourself and use your digital hand or even use the chat, and we'll be happy to uh, entertain those questions. So, Jewel, this is uh, obviously an exciting project. You're working with Ensemble. What are your plans for the future? Uh, obviously, you've got a, a tremendous background and a lot of um, a lot of raw materials that you can use to do some huge things. I mean, and having this on your resume is going to be huge as well. Do you have any future plans for um, other things you plan on working on that you're willing to share? Are able to share? Future plans. Well, I want to continue this project. This will probably be my first project that I could do start from start from finish. I've worked on a dozen or so um, development projects throughout my career, and it's always been in different phases. Where it's I'm just on the acquisition side of it, or due diligence, or I've done projects that's in the middle of construction, or a project that's finishing up construction and we're ready to open. And so this would probably, my residential project particularly here would be my first project that I've gotten entitled 
and then we'll be able to start construction and open. So I want to stay at least stay on that project to see it, the full cycle of it. So that's my that's my future plan right now. And in terms of personal, I want to give back give back more to particularly minorities who are looking into getting into development. I'm still, as you probably know, the only one that looks like me in the room. And I definitely think there's a lot of talented future developers out there that look like me as well. And just having a, having become a resource, because I didn't really have that when I got into the field. So starting to connect with more younger people that are interested in getting to real estate. I used to get the, the comment all the time when I told people I was in real estate, they're like, oh, you're an agent? No, I'm a real estate developer. And then it gets, well, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, <laughs> as you can only imagine, I definitely want to kind of pay it forward. And right now I'm mentoring a couple of young, young people that are about to graduate from school and are interested in getting into the field as well. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uriah Robinson had asked a question about uh, reaching out to you if you have some questions later on. What would be the, the best way to do that? You know, for email, LinkedIn, phone? I mean, what, what works for you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So you guys can find me on LinkedIn, Joel F. Kennedy. You can definitely send me an email. My email, I can probably put it in the chat, but it's jkennedy at ensemble.net. So that's probably the two best ways to get in touch with me. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So about, um, you know, the youth, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit as well, because you, you worked with Habitat for Humanity. That's something that I've been involved in as well over the years. As you know, this, this whole podcast came about. We're trying to help that next wave of people coming along that might want to get into commercial real estate. So it's something I'm very passionate about as well. I don't know, maybe we, we should have a conversation offline about how we can uh, both maybe work together to help, you know, out in that regard. Because it sounds like we have the same focus as regards doing that. So that's a, a, a very good thing there. But let's see, Uriah brought up another point here. What are the top three things to consider when doing your due diligence and phase analysis? So how would you answer that? So top three, we kind of touched on it earlier about the environmental aspect, that's probably the most unforeseen part of the due diligence because as the seller, you know, they're, they're responsible for giving you everything that they know. And then once you buy the site as is, then you know, you're know you on your own. So you can trust the seller's materials, but you're probably best to go and, and do an additional phase one and phase two just to be safe. And um, understanding the numbers, the finance, I I'm lucky enough to have someone do all the numbers for me at Ensemble, but seeing if the deal works and knowing what your return, what you want your return metrics to be is probably important. And then the third is knowing in terms of the zoning side of it and, and what, if, it, if the project is allowed to build what you want to build and if you have to do any other additional entitlements, it is probably easier to buy an entitlement site, but it's also more expensive to buy an entitlement site. But if you want to buy, you know, an industrial piece of land and, and do the entitlements yourself, just know that it's a lot of heavy lifting when you have to do, do that route. And that's mostly what I focus on. Most of my projects have been me entitling the site and then selling it. But as Ensemble Mosaic, we are long-term holders. So it's very rare that we do 
Stellar Project site. There's something I learned in school a long time ago that stuck with me. It said, never fall in love with real, with your real estate because it's, you never know. You might have an opportunity to sell it for a profit and then there might be a better deal out there. So I've kind of take that to heart. So. Yeah, very good point. You know, you can also hold on to a piece of property past its, its window and, uh, you know, fall into a recessionary cycle and can't get out where you want to get out. Yes. So, yeah, yes. So got, got a real problem there as well. So very good point. JK, JFK, wanted to ask this about what made you get into development knowing it's a male-dominated field? I don't think anything's going to scare you off, but um, go for it. How, how would you answer that? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, JFK is actually my dad, so he's oh, a disclaimer. Okay. But okay. <laughs> I'm like, that looks, that looks familiar. So in terms of that, I, you know, I didn't really realize it was a male-dominated field until I started working in the field because when I was in school, there was a lot of, it was a lot of females in my classes, all like a lot of the development classes that I took. But I feel like half of them were in development in school. It wasn't until like I started working for my first development firm that I realized I'm like, wow, there is not a lot of females in this in this industry. And then I've joined um, a lot of professional organizations like ULI and NAOP and Crew, and still could not find any women in development. So. I I thought I didn't really think much of it until probably recently, which is part of the reason why I want to give back and get more minority, particularly women involved in development, because I just started realizing that, okay, maybe this really is a male dominated field. What I, I feel like I didn't do anything, anything major to, to stand out. I mean, I went to school I, and I was very, adamant about getting into development. I networked my way through. And so I definitely think there's opportunity to get it. And I, it's more so in the back of my mind. Yes, I know that I am the only female in the room for some time, but I don't let that hinder me, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. And what about pressure due to your uh, race and gender? Well, you mentioned the female part. So yeah, any, any additional pressure you feel uh, uh, related to that? Yeah, I, I kind of do, especially working on a big project like this, kind of being the face of a project is pretty important. You definitely see a lot of the owners and developers that are, you know, mostly white male dominated and like the major projects that you see around the cities, around the country for that matter. But there's definitely a lot of developers out there that get opportunities through public-private partnerships. So I know I'm not alone, but I definitely... See, see those like obviously we have you know H.J. Russell down in Atlanta and a few others minority-owned black-owned businesses developers out there that are are pretty much you know paving the way for people like me and and future developers to come out. Okay, all right, sounds good, sounds good. So let me ask this: How do you think we might be able to uh, help you or you help us as regards? Um, getting the message out and encouraging others to uh, take this up as a career path. Uh, Cause like you, you know, I don't often, you know, say everything that I do, but um, it was kind of interesting just this weekend, this guy uh, came up to me. He said, yeah, I heard you in real estate. So then he said, uh, well, I want to buy a house. How much money can I get? You're a realtor, right? And I'm like, okay. So he's like all over the place, right? <laughs> Doesn't know nothing about nothing. 
you know, but you get that. So I can certainly relate to that, right? They, everybody thinks you're a realtor. Not that there's anything wrong with realtors. Let me be clear about that. I'm not, not demeaning them, but it's just that there's uh, many more avenues to real estate other than being a realtor. But how do you think we could, we could work together to uh, help this objective, which we both have? Whether your, your thoughts on that, or maybe we need to give it more thought. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think it, we need to start it at the high school level. When I graduated as a senior, I remember looking at different colleges and, and universities that offered a real estate program because my parents kind of instilled in me, like, you should look into development and look into like real estate investing. And I thought, okay, well, what schools have that? And just so happened, Georgia State, it had a really good program that covered all aspects of real estate from, you know, appraisal to development to law to everything, investment. So I got a taste of everything through that. And I wish we could have, I could have got that during high school. So kind of going out to like high schools and getting them, you know, introduced to the different aspects of real estate and not just being a realtor would probably be a good start. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I remember in my, uh, my high school yearbook is a picture of me standing inside of the, a skyscraper in Manhattan. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be building stuff like this when I get older, you know, but, but I was yeah. in high school, right? So that's, that's a very good point. You know, if you start young, because a lot of young ones don't know what they want to do, but to show them what the possibilities are is important. And I often talk about how there was a lot of youth when I was growing up that they, they thought that their way out of bad situations was either drugs or sports. And that was it. It was never real estate development, right? Or anything related to that. It was drugs or sports. And uh, to be able to understand that you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to risk your life or put all your chips on one thing and hope that you become that one of a million to become that best star athlete. Because even so, a lot of people make the professional sports realm and you know, they, they just don't make the money they think they're going to make. Or like in football, they might have a three-year career and then that's it, you know, because of injuries and things yeah. of that sort. So to have something that, that is more uh, of a lifelong skill, which is really what you have, you know, the ability to go in and uh, do all the pre-development work and everything else is, is a very, very valuable skill to have. And so uh, I see why Ensemble snatched you up when you were <laughs> available out there. That's a skill that's needed. <laughs> that's really, really powerful. So um, that's really good. I know you were um, also at Avalon. How, how were things over there? Because I, I know some of their principles as well. Uh, you were doing multifamily development there, or or what? That was some of your yeah. earlier work. Yes, yes, definitely. Avalon Bay paved the way for Ensemble, and and where I'm at today. The mentor I mentioned earlier was working for Avalon Bay in the New York, New Jersey office, and thought I would be a good asset to the team out in Southern California. And at the time, there were about 10 projects in different phases. And so if you've ever been to Southern California, you know that traffic is crazy and everything's spread out. I underestimated how much, how many projects was under my belt all over the place. I was probably <laughs> in my car for, <laughs> for like, 80% of the time, just driving from one project wow. to the other, getting phone calls from the superintendent at six o'clock in the morning, talking about the inspectors coming today. We need to get the stuff. We need to get this building open. And I go, I'm like rushing to get to the project. I'm like, there's absolutely no way this project's ready to open. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so 
I started to learn, you know, the construction side that way. And it's like, okay, you guys are full of it. This is not ready to be open. Call off the inspection. So I got to learn a lot of that. And, and Avalon, they've been around since the seventies. And so they know what they're doing. And for them, pretty much learning from them kind of sets the, sets the pay for where I'm at now. And I thought about as far as career moves and advice, a lot of, a lot of people will ask me, is it good to go with a, a large firm or like a startup or a small firm? And for me, I thought going with a larger company would be critical for my path as being a double minority woman and, and black. I thought going with uh, a company like Avalon Bay would open more doors for me. So I decided to go that route. I'm not saying that going with a smaller firm probably wouldn't have done that. But for me personally, I thought going with a larger, well-known name, a firm would pave the way for me to go to like a smaller firm, like an ensemble mosaic. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So good stuff. I'm glad you had um, your time here. And it looks like your path is uh, just going, you know, the direction that it needs to be going. But yeah, but so, so Jewel, I, I didn't really get an answer to that. And I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing this out. It might be something we have to talk about later on, but uh, working together in order to, um, help some of these younger ones. Uh, you've got some roots down here in, in Atlanta, which is good. Well, you said you're from Atlanta, right? Isn't that what you yeah. said? Yeah. yeah. So, so you definitely got roots down here. So, um, you know, and that's where we're based. So there might be some possibilities there. We just got to think about it, you know, unless you have something off the top of your head that you think might work. Um, anything come to mind offhand or you want to, want to circle back to that topic? No, definitely. I'm, now that I'm back on the East Coast, I feel like it would be easier for me to travel back down to Atlanta and see my family and friends and like still, still keep that connection. And I have not, I will admit, I hadn't been to Atlanta since I left. Um, that was like 2013. Yes. Oh, wow. So I hadn't been back to Atlanta. I have recently, but to actually like see the city because when I was working for the city, I was approving a lot of plans as a planner and nothing was getting built. So I hear there's like this new Atlanta and the a new midtown and new downtown. I'm like, wow, all those projects that I approved finally got built. <laughs> so it's good to see see positive change happening in the city. And I and I was very active in the in the real estate circles there. As you know, we probably know all of the same people there. So your network is your network. So I always learned that early on and building a relationship. Real estate is all about building relationships. And that's pretty much what I want to focus on. So happy to like get together and see what we can do to work together. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll think about that. It, it didn't even really come to my mind until we started having this conversation, but you know, I, I'm a firm believer that we can always do more together than apart. So if we're uh, yeah. trying to accomplish the same goal, there's got to be some synergies that we can pull together to make that happen. So that'll be great. And yeah, you definitely got to see Atlanta now. It's, uh, you know, there's not a, a square piece of dirt anywhere, especially in Midtown, that hasn't been developed. So they're, they're going crazy down here. That's so <laughs> crazy to me. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. And I know the Beltline has been, like, yeah. almost completed or if it has been completed. It's crazy. It's all the... It, it, it warms my heart to see, you know, Atlanta progressing because as, when I was there, it was just very hard. It was very challenging to find like developers 
to build anything there. And I see there's like new players out there mm-hmm. that I would not think a second would even come to Atlanta. So happy to see some major players come in and, and make the city a better place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You would be surprised, but um, Atlanta's on a lot of people's <laughs> radars now. Um, you know, we've been trying to buy some additional properties, even ourselves. And, um, you know, the cap rates are so low, you know, you just sit there scratching your head like, this can't be right. You know, <laughs> is this like Rockefeller Center prices? I mean, it's like, come on. So, um, but yeah, and, and even in the suburban markets, we're seeing a lot of really low cap rates, um, especially on multifamily. So, yeah, that's kind of how it is. But yeah, you got to get down here. I'm sure your family would love to see you as well. And um See all of your all of your work in the byproduct of that. Uh, matter of fact, uh, just this week I was talking with um, another uh, buddy of ours, Keith Mack, who was heading up development for the um, well, it used to be called the Gulch, it's now called Centennial Yards. Oh, I, I know yeah. all about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's, yeah. He's really good friend of mine. Um, last time I was in Atlanta, I was um, I was hanging out with Keith, so he was okay. uh, one of my one of my first mentors while I was at Georgia state and he, he took me under his wing. So he likes to say I'm his protege. <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What I, yeah. Like you said, we run in the same circle. So, but um, that, that's going to be an incredible project and I'm glad to see it finally coming to fruition. So yeah. 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 Really, really exciting. So good stuff. Good stuff. So, all right. Well, sounds good. So anything else you, you want us to, uh, to mention or do you want to bring out before we uh, wrap up for today? Um, I don't think so, but I'm really excited that I was able to be part of this. Thank you for having me. Thanks for everyone for joining and, and tuning in. So yeah, again, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Jewel F. Kennedy, or you can email me at jkennedy at ensemble.net. Happy to share my knowledge and if you have any questions, let me know. All right, fantastic. Well, we certainly appreciate it. It's been a great time having you today. I appreciate you being part of the, uh, the podcast. So this has been the uh, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We want to thank our special guest, Joel Kennedy, for being with us today. And we look forward to seeing you on an upcoming podcast. Thank you so much. Joel, thank you again. Thank you. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.